is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. Yes, pop culture addicts, it appears that I misspoke, as here we are, before Thanksgiving, and Johnny C is back here on the new TNN with a special edition of Top Man. You know, I gotta admit, I wasn't planning on talking about this topic, but uh, I was laying in bed last night, alright, that's enough out of here, but I was laying in bed last night and I could not fall asleep, so I went down to my library and I was like, well, you know, I'm so old nowadays that if I read, I usually get really tired and fall asleep in like 15 to 20 minutes. So this will be my cure for this quote-unquote insomnia. And it took me longer to figure out what I wanted to read than it did to fall asleep once I got back into bed. And why is that? Because, well, when I go down to my library, I take a look at my comics collection and you know what? I don't have a massive collection. I, I collect my favorites, and then I collect some stuff just for timeline and order. You know, so if I want to read one of my favorites, I can read the lead-up to it and what have you, and that's a bunch of nerdy information you don't want. But, uh, you know, I, I do have old standbys. I have favorites, and uh, just like anyone does. And so what we're going to talk about today is it's a list-based form of entertainment, but it's not a countdown per se. It's the top comic storylines that I'm thankful for because you know we'll tie it into Thanksgiving and what have you and uh, yeah uh, I will just try to give you some information about the type of shit that I like to read some of this stuff you know I guess I'm not a huge well we'll get to it we'll get to it when it comes there let's save that for everything so if you like comics or if you're looking for stories that might give you a good place a good jumping on point or if you want to understand a little bit more about uh the type of shit that I like, this is going to be the show for you. If not, listen to it anyway, because I need the hits. I'm addicted to the hits. Anywho, I'm just joshing you. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to go through this thing chronologically by publication date, uh, because I did not want to give this list any sort of value uh, connotation, because, you know, I might be in the rude, in the rude, in the mood to read X at certain times. I might be in the mood to read Y at certain times, and it, and it varies. Now, these items are not of equal quality. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for one reason or another, I like them a lot. So let's get rolling. Now, it's 1985. Of course, you got anyone who knows comics knew that I was going to start here, but I'm actually not going to talk about either of them that much. First, Watchmen. I didn't read Watchmen until I was in college. My roommate, when I got back into comics, was like, oh, you're getting into comics? Well, you should probably read this. I read it, and I was like, yeah, I get it. Um, I'm not going to beat it in the ground. Um, I'm just going to say that, uh, guys, Rorschach is not the good guy. If you haven't figured that out yet, stop putting the Rorschach on a pedestal, 
All right? Stop dressing up like him and thinking you're cool. Now, the costume is cool. All right? But Rorschach is not a good dude. All right? Very interesting character, yes. But, kidsters, you don't want to grow up to be Rorschach. You don't want to grow up to be anyone in Watchmen. And that's the whole fucking point. Uh, Watchmen has been beaten into the ground... And I feel like I'm doing it even more now. But you, if you if you call yourselves a fan of comics and you haven't read Watchmen, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was lucky that I was able to read it a couple of years, maybe like five years before the movie even came out, which I'm not here to promote. I actually think it's kind of weak. It's weak sauce. Uh, what's with the guy that dressed up like Nixon in that movie? Could they not get a fucking better Nixon guy? The makeup's atrocious. Anywho, just, you have to watch The Watchmen. Who watches them? Well, don't watch them. Read them. Read The Watchmen. And you know what else I hate? I hate when people call it, like, the greatest graphic novel of all time. And I'm like, no, it's a limited series. It was collected as a graphic novel. These things aren't graphic novels until they're collected. And even so, they're trade paperbacks. A graphic novel to me, would be a wholly original piece of comic art that was created to be released only in graphic novel format, all right? A trade paperback is a collection of single issues in one convenient container. So Watchmen is not the greatest, most celebrated graphic novel of all time. It's the most celebrated comic storyline of all time. Stop misusing graphic novel. I'm done. 1985, Crisis on Infinite Earths. DC Comics' first big mega maxi event that changed comics forever, ever, ever. It's real simple, guys. If you don't do comics, think of this as WrestleMania. Vince started to consolidate the territories, created a fresh new product that had polish we could all look at. DC Comics was doing the same. Over the time of their publishing history, they had bought other companies, they had had characters that they reinvented, like there's The Flash, the guy from the 40s that wears the helmet. And then there's The Flash from CW's The Flash and Justice League and all that shit, the Barry Allen Flash, all right? So they had to fucking jump through hoops to explain why you could have The Flash from the 40s and The Flash Barry Allen. So what they did was they wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was a ridiculous story that involved the multiverse collapsing into just one Earth so we could say, you know what, it was really complicated, but now it's really simple, and start buying our books on a monthly basis. Now, is Crisis on Infinite Earths good? I don't know, because when I read Crisis on Infinite Earths, I was in college, and the writing style of the 80s comic books, the sort of, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, like, it doesn't really work for me. I... I'm impressed by all the booking hoops they had to jump through. Like, if you have a favorite character, odds are they probably appear at least twice and maybe even have a line of dialogue. So that's quite a fucking achievement considering the amount of characters that we are dealing with here. But it does involve... And we all know what multiverses are because of Marvel. Eh. But the multiverse collapses into one, and we just have one Earth, one Superman, one Flash. Well, not really, but kind of. Uh, but it, 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 we have one shared collected history where we no longer have to jump through hoops to have the specter appear with fucking, I don't know, Blue Devil. Those are some random polls for you, because they both live on the same Earth now. Now, Watchmen and Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the next sort of 
And well, the next one on the list is 1986, Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Kind of the holy trinity of comic storylines. Because Crisis on Infinite Earths, if you want to think of it, think of it like this. Um, it's kind of like with cinema and with wrestling. They're like five-star wrestling classics uh, because AJ Styles and Kenny Omega did a bunch of flips in the Tokyo Dome. That's like the art of wrestling, the, the art of the movement. And then there are five-star matches like Hulk and Andre because it's the art of spectacle and pop entertainment. Uh, take a look at like Citizen Kane versus uh, Star Wars. Citizen Kane is like the art of filmmaking, and Star Wars is too, but Star Wars is more poppy. So, hey, hey Poppy! Hey, it's me, George W. Bush. Poppy! Can, can you buy me Crisis on Infinite Earths? Now, Junior, you're old enough to buy your own comics. But Crisis on Infinite Earths is like the pop, Holy Trinity item, and the next two are sort of like the artistic, because Watchmen taught us that comic storylines could be adult in nature and could tackle real, well, I'm going to use real world, but they could actually tell stories involving pulp heroes uh, that really struck a chord and resonated and reflected upon our own culture. It's like good science fiction. It's supposed to talk about the now. It's kind of like Star Trek in a way. And then uh, Frank Miller's Batman The Dark Knight Returns really pushed us over the edge in terms of, hey, did you guys know that comics can be emo and, and you can really wear a lot of black? That's a really bad joke. But it's like, you know, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns uh, centers around an aged Batman returning to a life of crime fighting after being retired and kind of snapping. And uh, it's Frank Miller, so what did you expect? But it showed us that these heroes that we even know and love, because Watchmen is all made-up characters. They're based on existing DC characters, but they're not existing DC characters. Whereas The Dark Knight Returns takes a property that's well-known, the Batman, and gives us this adult, hard-edged, dark take, which of course leads to Batman 89 becoming a thing. Kind of. And that's the holy trinity of, like, comics... Like, it sort of created alternate paths that comics could take. You know, we could do these big, merchandise-driven, sales-driven pop events. We could do standalone adult stories. Or we could start taking our existing characters a lot more seriously. And there are bleed-over sections. It's not a definite science here. We're talking about funny books. But that's sort of your holy trinity of the different divergent paths that we can take. And, And that's my sort of DC bias as well. You could look at like Fantastic Four, X-Men. I mean, those are landmark uh, things happening as well, like their first issues and and big storylines and what have you, which some of them will cover. But that's sort of the modern, the road to modern comics, if you will. Now, in 1992, Johnny C was nine years old, and the talk of the town at his local cards and collectibles shop was... The Death of Superman. Here celebrating the 30th anniversary in November of 2022. Great timing. What kid didn't hear that Superman was dead? And what kid begged their parents to take them to the comic shop and give them $1.50 or whatever to buy the issue? And what kid was confused when they bought the issue and they found out that it was the ending of the fight and not the beginning of the fight? I spent years of my youth trying to figure out the entire Death of Superman storyline. I was aided by a lot of things. I bought a kid's book called like Superman Doomsday and Beyond, which was like a, a youth novel of the entire storyline, sort of truncated. I played a game for the Genesis called Death and Return of Superman that kind of gave you all of the plot. I listened to an audio drama. I got a book from the library and then eventually as an adult I was able to read the entire world without a Superman death of Superman funeral for a friend the 
return of the Superman, the reign of the Superman, like all of it. And good Lord, it's also written in a unique form that's very 90s, and Superman's hair has got to be spoken. But what? who doesn't know that Superman died? That's my whole point. Huge selling, massive pop cultural impact, and uh, it still gets recreated this very day. See Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Oh, spoiler alert for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, I guess. Up next, from 1993, man, that X-Men cartoon on Fox really got my parents to spend a lot of money. And I say that jokingly because, you know, I would do chores, but it's their money. I became obsessed with the X-Men cartoon and X-Men trading cards. In the X-Men trading cards, there was a subset called Fatal Attractions of six cards that depicted six very unique events. Colossus defecting to Magneto's Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh... Wolverine, learning that he had bone claws the whole time. I guess that's sort of skipping ahead. But the most important one, well, the creation of the Avalon space station was big. But Wolverine gets his adamantium ripped out by Magneto. And that is X-Men Fatal Attractions from 1993, a six-issue X-Men maxi-series. Well, it's not a maxi-series. It's a collection of single issues that tell an overarching story. I don't know why I call it a maxi-series. But, uh, yeah. Wolverine gets his adamantium ripped out, but there's also an awesome battle in the Avalon space station where Professor X and Magneto go one-on-one with the Undertaker and themselves. Uh, Gambit, Wolverine here are here smoking. Quicksilver's here. Like it's a gr- uh, to me, this was an amazing story arc. I actually picked up all six individual issues out of Sam Goody. They had a three-pack. And I got the three-pack number one and three-pack number two. It came with the little holograms on the covers. Oh, I loved it. X-Men Fatal Attractions is uh, was a big a big one for me because it was an early adoption. Because a lot of this stuff I didn't come to until later in life. But Death of Superman and X-Men Fatal Attractions and the next one I'm going to talk about were my youth experiences with comic books. I might as well go into it. It's X-Men Age of Apocalypse from 1995. Professor X is killed in the past and the entire line of X-Men books becomes Age of Apocalypse. Set in an alternate future where Xavier's dream was never a reality. Uh, Magneto has his own team of X-Men. He's a good guy, leading them against Apocalypse, who's taken control of most of the planet. And it was a year-long story. And the thing was, you could feel comfortable picking up an issue because it was all sort of starting fresh. And once the Age of Apocalypse was ended in X-Men Omega, which X-Men Alpha and X-Men Omega, that's the beginning of the Age of Apocalypse and the end, those were big rereads for me. I still like them to this day. I've got them all digitally and what have you. I don't have a trade paperback. I probably should get it uh, to get them all collected. But the Age of Apocalypse was felt so accessible because that's a big problem, especially before the Internet. It's ironic that my getting back into comics in college coincides with like Wikipedia articles being a thing. To me, because I was able to gain the back information that I needed to understand comic storylines. And that's always been the biggest problem. It's kind of like wrestling. It's very complicated, intricate, and complex with lots of turning gears and shit. Lots of characters turning face and heel and dying and being resurrected and fucking Black Canary and then not fucking Black Canary. You know, there's all sorts of shit that you need to know about sometimes. And sometimes a writer will just be like, fuck you, I'm just going to start fresh and tell a story about Green Arrow. And that's fine. But sometimes you need to know he used to fuck Black Canary. It's really that simple. Or sometimes you know that Black Canary fucked Green Arrow. We should be, you know... Uh, fucking equal here. Maybe she was fucking him, and he was like, oh, I love you, Black Canary. She was like, yeah, that's okay, Ollie. We're good. Let's just fuck. Um, so yeah, the Age of Apocalypse was accessible. 
And uh, that's from 1995. I, I kind of got off on a divergent path about Black Canary and Green Arrow's fidelity, but whatever. So we've got one more quick stop here into the 90s, and it's 1996, and that's Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Batman The Long Halloween. Tim Sale, amazing artist who I believe we unfortunately recently lost in this year, either 2022 or 2021. You know, it has not been a kind year for comic artists and writers these last couple years. It's been really rough. Uh, We have lost a lot of greats. It's very unfortunate. I just want to put that out there. Uh, Batman The Long Halloween is a tremendous example of the Batman character being used to uh, full potential. Batman The Long Halloween gives us a lot of Batman, Bruce Wayne, Gotham City archetypes that have been recycled, reused, and reimagined on the big screen quite a bit. Carmine Falcone, Falcone, however you want to say his name, uh, Selina Kyle being the daughter of Carmine Falcone, uh, just a lot of great. I mean, because it's a it's a mob story basically, using the backdrop of Gotham City and these costumed heroes and villains. It is limited, I believe, to the Batman universe. I mean, I've read it a, a, a few times. I mean, I've read it. I, I can't remember if Superman shows up. Uh, I don't think he does. It doesn't matter. It's it's not really relevant. But my point is, is that it's basically the Godfather. It's trying. I'm not saying it's trying to be the Godfather. I'm saying it's like working too hard. But it takes things very seriously. It's a very grounded take, I guess, aside from the part where uh, uh, the Joker steals the uh, helicopter or the fucking old-timey aircraft at uh, Christmas time. But it follows uh, each major holiday on the calendar. It revolves around a killer named Holiday. It's also an origin for Two-Face. Uh, see Dark Knight, comma, The uh, for further. But it's just... It's been adapted and, like I said, repurposed many times, and there's a reason for that. It's fucking classic. And the fact that it came out in 96 should tell you all that you need to know. Because, again, the 90s in comics were all about excess. Everybody had 16 guns and 45 belts, and Spawn's cape was as big as a fucking office building. I mean, it's just the way that it was, and here's this grounded, serious take on a character, and again, it's sort of, I don't know that it starts, I would say The Dark Knight uh, Returns does that, but it's its just a shining example of, of writers using the Batman character to tell epic stories uh, that span, how should I say this, it's not so much about the time that it spans, but it's the the breadth of the character and their interaction with the city and with their rogues gallery. Batman is just one of those characters that people want to get a hold of. Like if you're in the medium and you're in the business, you know, God, I'd love to give you my take on Batman. You know, here's here's my vision for Batman. It's a character that people seem to want to do that with a lot. And I think there's a reason. I think we may have reached the saturation point. But don't let that dissuade you from reading one of the best examples of that. And that's The Long Halloween. Now, that's that takes us out of the 90s, okay? There's a big leap here. Most of my comic fandom and the, the old favorites, the characters I stick to, the storylines I remember fondly, come from the, uh, you know, the early aughts, if you will, 2000 to 2015-ish, um, and then a couple of more recent ones. So I, I don't want you to think that that makes my knowledge narrow in scope. It 
makes my fandom a little more narrow in scope because, you know, this is when I started collecting individual single issues and not just heading into a bookstore and being like, oh, this this looks interesting. I'll try this. So 2004 brought us Identity Crisis. Now, Crisis, like I said, we talk about Crisis on Infinite Earths, and while I compared it to WrestleMania, uh, maybe because they both were uh, landmark events, uh, they both took place in 1985, I will tell you that the word Crisis is something that DC Comics uses in their comics titles to identify a WrestleMania-style event. I don't know, well, I could probably figure out a better way to say it, but considering we cover a lot of wrestling here, and I think a lot of my listeners enjoy that, that's the comparison I'm going to make. So, while we had zero-hour crisis in time in the 90s, which I'm not really a huge fan of, Identity Crisis sort of begins the renaissance of using the phrase crisis correctly within DC continuity. And uh, this is written by Brad Meltzer. I believe he's like an actual mystery author. And Identity Crisis uh, gets three big check marks for reasons why it's one of my favorites. Number one, it's a murder mystery that involves a lot of lower-tier DC characters. For example, Elongated Man is one of the primary characters. You know, what's that? You don't know who Elongated Man is? Well, that's fine, because neither did I until I read Identity Crisis. Number two, Identity Crisis, I don't know if it's the first to do it, but it gets a lot of the credit for doing so. So in comic books, you usually have two different types of bubbles. That's a very strange sentence, but hear me out. You've got speech bubbles and thought bubbles. Thought bubbles have always been lame to me. Now, in Identity Crisis, we have many POV characters, and as they narrate, we get a lot of color-coded boxes on the page to indicate a character's internal monologue. For example, let's say Green Arrow and Superman are on the same page, and they're both investigating the murder scene, and, one, and we need to see what Green Arrow's thinking, and we need to see what Superman's thinking. The thought bubbles are gone. We'll have like a green box with text that tells us what Green Arrow is thinking or what he's narrating, and we have a blue one indicating what Superman is thinking or narrating. Now, it might seem like a silly change, but that's what I was used to when I started reading comics in the late 2000s. So really seeing the Genesis point and seeing how wonderful it's used and how long it's lasted. I mean, it's the standard now. I I can't recall seeing a thought bubble in a very long time. Sometimes people will do it for very specific purposes. Like if a character is telepathic or what have you, they might use it. Like if Jean Grey is talking to somebody. But even then, they don't really do it too much. It might be a square box with quotes inside of the text to indicate it's a telepathic conversation. Weird conversation to be having into a microphone, I will admit it. But I love the narration boxes. And the third thing it brings to it is one of my favorite plot twists in in comics in general... Uh, revolving around the Batman. There's that name again, the Batman. But uh, you know, I, I don't. It is like an almost 18-year-old storyline. I don't know how much I want to give away, but it sets the stage for the next thing on the list. Even it creates a relationship between Batman and, to an, uh, you know, a greater extent, a lot of different heroes in the DC universe that paint a picture of shades of gray, if you will. That sure, we might be the Justice League. But sometimes we've made some choices. And sometimes these choices maybe haven't been the most moral 
of choices, but they've been the correct choice or the choice that allows us to keep the status quo. All right, fuck it. I'll just talk about it. Long story short, we find out that the Batman once learned a critical piece of information revolving a crime. And, God, it's really hard to explain to a... You know, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it because I really think you should read it. But it makes the Batman paranoid against pretty much every superhero in the DC Universe. And it sets a stage for 2005's Countdown to Infinite Crisis, which is a strange title. Countdown to Infinite Crisis is a standalone 80-page giant, like it's an 80-page comic, that tells multiple stories. It's basically a one-shot that leads and ties into... Infinite Crisis, which is the direct sequel to Crisis on Infinite Earths. But Countdown to Infinite Crisis is tremendous because it follows one character, Blue Beetle, Ted Kord, on a path to him solving a greater mystery and revealing it to the reader and also to the uh, bigger superheroes in the DC Universe. And it's a great one-shot. I highly recommend it. Uh, And it leads into Infinite Crisis, which is everything that has been building since Crisis on Infinite Earths. All of the strained relationship between the superheroes finally comes to a head, and they're not so much at war with one another. This isn't like the Civil War in Marvel, which we'll talk about very soon, actually. Um, But the, the Holy Trinity, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman, their relationship is completely fractured due to events of things like Identity Crisis and Countdown to Infinite Crisis and Wonder Woman's solo book. And... They are no longer working together as a team, and as they break their union, all hell breaks loose as some of the characters from Crisis on Infinite Earths return to wreak havoc and, uh, you know, cause a Crisis-level WrestleMania-style Battle Royal event. Um, It's written by Jeff Johns. I'm just going to get this out of the way now. There is a lot of Jeff Johns on my list. I don't know Jeff Johns. I don't know if Jeff Johns has been nice to every person he's ever met. I don't know if he's been a piece of shit to everybody he's met. And I don't know. I just don't know, okay? I'm not picking a side. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it, okay? Just just clear your mind. The world's shitty enough. You don't need to know about another minor celebrity controversy. But I don't think Jeff Johns is a piece of shit. He may have acted as a piece of shit. And there you go. I guess that's my two cents about it. Regardless of that, Jeff Johns' writing works for me. He's a master at the retcon. If you're not familiar with retconning, it's taking shit that didn't make sense or that, you know, was intended to be one way and then retroactively changing the continuity to give it its true meaning. See Lantern, Green for further information about how he basically revitalized the Green Lantern brand completely. Actually, we'll talk about that in a little bit, so don't worry about it. Infinite Crisis is his baby. Uh, it's great. It's the first uh, big... Well, it's not the first. It's what got me into DC Comics. In 2005 and six. see, uh, Infinite Crisis started towards the tail end of 2005, and then in early 06, I started picking up a book. And Well, we'll get to it, but Infinite Crisis is tremendous. It's a sequel, like I said, to Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's a direct sequel, but there's... What are we talking about here? 20 years of continuity in between, so buyer beware. But you could pretty much figure out... 
Infinite Crisis is what caused me to use Wikipedia as my fucking Bible. All right. Uh, Wikipedia helped me understand Infinite Crisis, and to that, I'm forever grateful to Wikipedia, regardless of its accuracy. Uh, I do love Infinite Crisis. I'm going to stop talking about it because I feel like I've gotten a little bit off track. 2005 brings us our next title, All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison, what a writer. This is not the first time we're going to talk about them, okay? So, Grant Morrison has such a unique voice in the world of comics. They are able to put concepts down on paper that make sense, while at the same time are so high above my level of thinking I'm constantly awed by how they use words and they use phrases and they use abstract ideas to bring comics to life. All-Star Superman is a 12-issue standalone in its own continuity series. Now, what does that mean to the layman? It means you can just grab All-Star Superman and trade paperback form and read it, and that's all you need. It's a standalone story that doesn't affect main continuity. In the first issue, Superman has to rescue a rocket ship that's flying towards the sun. And much like Icarus, Superman flies too close to the sun. Uh, Obviously, Superman's cells absorb yellow sun radiation to power him. His cells become so powered by being this close to the sun, they start to break down. It basically works like this. You're going to be ultra-powerful for a little bit, and then your cells are going to break down. You've basically given yourself cancer. And he spends 11 issues basically setting things up on Earth with our society and our existence as human beings and within his personal life basically setting things right so he can die. It's like you know when you, if you get a terminal diagnosis and you give it a year, you've got a years to get your affair in or, affairs in order, which is sorry, I'm not trying to like bemoan that or like mock it, please. Like that happens. Uh, in this case it happens to Superman and Grant Morrison weaves a narrative unlike any other. I cannot give it the highest of recommendations. Uh, like What I'm trying to say is there isn't a high enough level of recommendation for me to give. This is... Superman's another great example of a character that writers like to get a hold of. It's a character that until the last three or four years, I didn't really... I mean, I understood you could tell good stories, but I didn't really get it. And the very last thing we're going to talk about on this entire episode of Top Man is what helped me get it. And we're saving it for last because it's my favorite. So we'll just leave it there. But you have to read All-Star Superman. Now, 2006 brings us Marvel's Civil War. Yeah, like the movie, but better because it involved the entire Marvel Universe. So I'm working at the mall, and this dude strikes up a convo with me. He's like, you kind of like stuff, pop, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I like stuff. He's like, do you like comics? I said, God, I haven't read comics since the 90s. And he said, it was a Wednesday, and he's like, man, I just picked up a book before I came into work. It's called Civil War. Uh, it's this new big event from Marvel. And I said, Civil War, what's it about? And he said, basically, there's a there's a, a, an event that happens where a school blows up. Awful. Not making jokes. Uh, a bunch of superheroes and supervillains get into a fight, and a school is caught in the crossfire. And the government makes it so superheroes have to register as you know weapons and agents and what have you, and Iron Man says we should, Captain America says we shouldn't, and the Marvel heroes go to war with one another. And I said, well, that sounds amazing. Where can I get a copy? And uh, it was like handing someone a needle for the first time, which again is not something to really laugh at, but uh, I guess I am, question mark. But that was the needle. I got handed Civil War. Uh, I read it, and here I am to this very day making a podcast about comics. Um, 
it's not the best, okay? But I can never deny that it's what got me into the level of fandom that I am today because it opened the floodgates for, wow, comics are actually a lot more involved now. They're not like bam, whiff, pow. Like, they can be, and they can be written that way intelligently and be fun if you know that's what you're getting into. But uh, this sort of modern age of superheroes, of a little bit more adult... Yeah, that's a thing. Uh, Civil War is what opened that door to me, and so I am forever grateful. And you know what? I'd say give it a read. Uh, It's totally different from... I mean, thematically, you can tell it's kind of similar to uh, Captain America Civil War, the film, but it's it's also so different. It's also so, so, so different. Uh, This is where you get the Iron Spider for the first time, the costume that Peter kind of wears in the MCU for a little bit. Uh, You get the relationship with Iron Man and Spider-Man. You get Captain America sort of acting as a symbol of what's right as opposed to what's American, which I love very much. And, uh, yeah, even the Punisher is here, for God's sake. So uh, give it a read. I think it's worth it. I think it's probably pretty easy to find and probably pretty cheap. Um... I don't work for Amazon, uh, but I am going to recommend if you are a comics reader or if you want to get into comics and you have access to a digital reader like an iPad or something of that nature, Comixology Unlimited is like $5.99 a month. And not only do you get a discount on digital comics you purchase, but they have a Netflix, HBO Max, Peacock-style library of stuff that you can just read for free because you're a member. And... A lot of these big ticket items that I'm talking about, things like Long Halloween, Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not making any promises or guarantees here, but a lot of your big ticket items are usually included in Comixology Unlimited. You should definitely check it out. I, I'm a member, uh, and not only am I the founder of Comixology, I'm also a client. Uh, you know, but I don't know. It's worth it. It's a good way to sort of see if this habit is something for you. Or if you just want to, like, you know, I always wanted to read that. Or, I don't know. But definitely check it out. Comixology Unlimited. You can thank me later. Use a discount code. Give Johnny C money. He deserves it. But we're not done with 2006 quite yet. We got a couple of heavy hitters coming up. Uh, One for sure I know is available on Comixology. Uh, But, you know, it is what it is. Still here in 2006, we're going to talk about probably the comic that's most responsible for feeding and maintaining my comics addiction, even though Civil War opened the floodgates, and then I was able to catch up with Infinite Crisis over on DC. So I had a major event from both two companies, or excuse me, from both of the major companies. And then when Civil War ended, I was Marvel Fringe, but when Crisis, or excuse me, when Infinite Crisis got too many crises... When Infinite Crisis ended, I was all in on DC because as soon as it concluded, they started releasing a comic called 52. 52 fed my addiction by throwing out the rules of comic publishing and releasing a new issue every single week. Not only did they maintain that schedule for the entire year, which is practically unheard of, they delivered quality content. A superstar writing team of Mark Wade, Greg Rucka, uh, Grant Morrison, and Jeff Johns completely filled in the gaps in what's called DC's lost year. Because after Infinite Crisis ended, all the comics that were published jumped forward one year in time. 52 is a year without Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. 
They defeated the threats in Infinite Crisis, but now they need to rediscover why they are superheroes. So they all go on personal journeys. Meanwhile, some C and D list superheroes step up to the plate. Now, Black Adam is a big part of this as well. Um, I don't know if I'd call him C or D list, although his film, which was released almost a month ago, I just saw is available for purchase on video on demand, so you be the judge of that. Fucking paradigm shift indeed, Mr. Rock. But 52 is tremendous. The question, Booster Gold, the Science Squad, Dr. Will Magnus, Steel, Natasha Irons, Animal Man, Adam Strange, Starfire, Lobo. These are not heavy hitters, but they ruled the last year of DC Comics. And being able to have a reason to go to the comic book shop each week is what I'm talking about is the gateway. Yeah, 52 rules. I love it. And there's a huge twist at the end uh, that changes the way you look at DC Comics as something like this should. But at the same time, the payoff is second to the fact that I got into comic shops every week purchasing 52 and purchasing other books. I'm forever grateful to the series because it basically made the love a reality. Next, from 2006, Jeff Johns, yet again, he revitalized the Green Lantern concept. He really did. Jeff Johns introduced the different colored uh, cores of the emotional spectrum. Red lanterns, uh, yellow lanterns, uh, orange, green, blue, indigo, violet, black, white. But it all started right here with the Sinestro Core War Special. Good God! But good God, DDP style, what a single issue of a comic book. An oversized prologue to the Sinestro Corps War proper introduced the Yellow Lantern Corps or the Sinestro Corps, introduced the heralds of the Yellow Lanterns, uh, some heavy hitters in DC history. Look, this, this changed the game. This told me that Green Lantern is something to pay attention to, and I loved it for years. I, I followed John's Lantern run until the very end. But the Sinestro Corps War Special, this one book, four ninety nine. I mean, the whole thing rules. John's entire Lantern run rules. But the Sinestro Corps War Special, man, what a book, because it made you want it right fucking now. You get to that last page reveal, and you're like, no. No, no, no. I need it now. I want it now. I have to have it now. How much money do I have to give you to receive it now? It, it's I can't give it enough credit. And it's it's also, uh, you know, it's not just a shocker or a cliffhanger. It is really well done. And, and Johns has always weaved an intricate narrative with Hal Jordan, Sinestro, and Carol Ferris. So I, I don't want to make it seem like this was a one-off. His run lasted like eight years or something like that. So, And we'll talk about it more later. But uh, Green Lantern became one of the best-selling books in DC's stable, and all these other Lantern cores gave us new characters that we could publish stories about as well. It's just, it, it really reinvigorated, or I guess you could say started the concept that over at DC, while everything's connected, Batman could show up in a Superman book if you really need him to, each character really has their own pocket universe that they exist in that's enough to cut well I don't know if it's enough to cover an entire comics line but you know we get the lantern cores in space all of them they could show up at any time hell uh, Scarecrow got a yellow lantern ring one time uh, Batman almost got a yellow lantern ring because of their ability to instill fear 
I've talked about the Lantern Corps over the North-South Connection Podcast Network before. I did a Multiverse of Fabulousness, uh, reimagining WWE's list of Lantern Corps because they did one in 2011. Um, so I'm just saying, like, I- I've talked about them before. It's out there. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but uh, you got to check out the entire run of Jeff Johns' Green Lantern if you really want to get in on that. And a lot of it's on Comixology. I'm not trying to sound like a commercial. I'm just saying, nerd to nerd. Like, you can get it, man. 2008, Grant Morrison brings us a doubleheader which cannot be ignored. Batman, R.I.P., and Final Fucking Crisis. Actually, fucking's not on the title officially. I don't know. I've been reading Final Crisis annually for, let's see here, math, 14 years. I still don't know if I understand all of it, but that's why I love it. We talked about how Grant Morrison weaves these insane narratives. And when I say Final Crisis, I'm talking about the collected edition that contains all seven issues of Final Crisis, the Batman uh, two-parter that Grant Morrison wrote, and the two-part Superman Beyond special that Morrison wrote because that's a part of the narrative. Superman Beyond, in its own, could be an entire podcast. But you pick up the Final Crisis trade paperback, which is the third part in the Crisis trilogy. Um, Man, oh man, Morrison is just a master of high-concept comic book stuff. Uh, A lot like an author we're going to talk about in a little bit. But essentially, this is a crisis revolving around Darkseid and the new gods of Apocalypse coming to Earth uh, and reigning terror across the 52 parallel Earths in the multiverse. Uh, Tremendous stuff. It's, It's out there. It's not as easily accessible. But you have to at least check it out. You gotta. You cannot consider yourself a, a connoisseur of DC Comics if you haven't read all the Crisis. This is one of them. It's got to be a part of it. Great artwork as well. Real fun use of introducing the multiple Supermen of the multiverse. Also, uh, well, it's not really a spoiler. Uh, Batman dies. It's like the first time Batman ever died, which is the Batman Rest in Peace storyline. And the Batman comic that Morrison was writing kind of led up to this. It's not as straightforward as you might think in Batman's comic. Uh, Morrison is able to take throwaway concepts from the 60s and 70s in Batman comics and revitalize them for a modern era, uh, including the Batman of Zurin R, which doesn't make any sense to you. Well, it fucking should. You have to read Batman. Rest in peace. 2008 was the year of Morrison. 2009 brought us the next big DC crossover event, and Jeff Johns had been building to it for about three or four years at this point. It's the Blackest Night. By my black hand, the dead shall rise. Johns had been threatening for years that the Black Lantern Corps would come to life, no pun intended, and they did, and it became a DC mega event. All the colored rainbow, uh, the colored core members of the rainbow, the Roy G. Biv, had to unite as one military force to take on the Black Lantern Corps. Black Lantern Rings can revitalize the dead and also take over any superhero that's actually died. So you get Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, all becoming Black Lanterns and fighting against those in the DC Universe. It's basically, uh, I I mean, I don't want to say it's not well written, but it's kind of like, um, this is a shitty comparison, so hear me out. Just don't, don't blame me. You know like Armageddon? Like, Armageddon was a huge, like, blockbuster. It had a sweet soundtrack. It had jokes. It had action pieces. It had heart. It had emotion. Did it have class? I don't know. So, think of all the good things about, like, a Michael Bay movie like Armageddon. Like, the bombastic shit. The the quips. The fun. 
uh, but then put like actual well-written dialogue on top of it, and that's sort of the Blackest Night. It doesn't quite reach crisis level, but man, oh man, it is a fun blockbuster film that you can read. That's probably the highest praise I could give it. It just misses out on like high art, um, but I really, really love it. And of course, being a fan of John's run on the Green Lantern, uh, it was the culmination, if you will. Although he still had a little bit of time left and a couple more Lantern Corps members to introduce, that being like Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz. Um, you know, The Blackest Night is, you could see it as the culmination. It was the last big event before the reboot of the New 52 in DC Comics. Uh, I guess Flashpoint was, but Flashpoint really kind of felt sort of small. Uh, Blackest Night seemed to engulf everything. So I give it the highest of recommendations. Speaking of highest recommendations, folks, 2009, we talked about high-concept sci-fi writers like Grant Morrison, Jonathan Hickman making his first appearance on the list with his 2009 run of Fantastic Four. It ran for a very long time. Look, I don't like the Fantastic Four, but I love Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four. I talked about this on my... uh, top most wanted MCU and DCU characters, Jonathan Hickman's Reed Richards is so detached from existence, but not detached because he has a wife, a family that loves him, some kids. He's just sort of driven by the fact that if you can fix everything, should you dedicate your life to fixing everything? And is it your job to fix everything? And who decides what's broken? High concept shit. Reed Richards meets a council of Reed Richards from all across the multiverse who work in secret to try to fix every problem in the multiverse and realize that, uh, well, there are bigger problems out there that they can't face and maybe they shouldn't be the ones to decide. That's just a teaser. I can't even, like, I can't even dive into it. Hickman's entire Fantastic Four run is collectible in omnibus form. There's like four volumes. It's pricey but it allows you to read the entire thing without having to worry about, did I miss something? Is it in the right order? Because it's in the right order, and you don't miss anything. A little bit of research might help just for some of the pre-existing storylines. It starts out kind of weird in the middle of a storyline called Dark Rain, but uh, eh, whatever, who cares? You can still figure it out. Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four. You gotta fucking read it. 2011 brings us back to Jeff Johns and the new 52 reboot of DC Comics. In 2011, they canceled every comic they had and started over, basically, after the Flashpoint event with a whole new fucking direction, a brand new origins, brand new costumes. It was a huge event. Like, it was huge. All right? And uh, Jeff Johns' 26 or 7 issue run on Aquaman. I've got it collected. A nice, beautiful, hardcover, expensive-ass comic that's very heavy and sometimes difficult to read, but I don't care. It's the run that made me love Aquaman. It's the run that made me realize that uh, his role within the DC Universe was important and that he wasn't just a joke character that everybody made fun of on Saturday Night Live. I think that's actually a direct line from uh, Johns' run. But uh, much like he did with Green Lantern, except in a way that I actually kind of... Like, Hal Jordan's fine, but Arthur Curry, something about Aquaman. I like him quite a bit. You know, he's never really comfortable anywhere. I kind of feel that way, too. So, I dig it the most. Aquaman obviously became my favorite character, and it's because of this run. I'm not going to, you know... If you've seen the Aquaman film, it's kind of ironic because the uh, it's not beat for beat at all. But 
pretty much everything you see in the Aquaman film like came from Johns in some way, shape, or form. Obviously, he didn't create like Mera and Ocean Master or Volko, but the versions that you see in the film and the different kingdoms of Atlantis, they've got his fingerprints all over it. Again, he keeps coming up on the list. I don't know if he's my favorite writer. Um, he writes good shit, though. I will say that. Uh, but this firmly establishes Mara as a presence in the DC Universe as well. Uh, she's been a pretty big character. I know the whole Amber Heard thing hasn't made it go so well, and that's a bummer, and I really hope they don't kill her off for no reason in Aquaman 2, but whatever. Um, she's a character. She's you, know, you don't punish the character if you don't like the artist for some reason. I don't really understand why you would do that. But this Aquaman run is a big favorite in the old Johnny C household. Now, we are getting closer to the end here. There's not a ton left that I want to talk about. Only a few titles, but I, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Uh, they're, they're big ones. You know, they're ones that uh, are the most recent on the list, but it just so happens they're also all really, really good. With the exception of one, which is the one that I'm leading with, which is more of a personal one. Now, I'll be the first to tell you, this this next series isn't like the greatest, but I got really caught up in it in uh, 2011 with the part of the new 52 DC relaunch. It's called Earth 2. Now, I enjoyed this because we got to basically get a whole new version of Earth 2, which was where like the Justice Society heroes lived in the old DC world before the Crisis on Infinite Earths. So like the old Alan Scott Green Lantern, the original Flash, the original Doctor Fate, Our Man, blah, blah, blah. And this Earth 2 was like an updated version. Uh, Green Lantern was given a, a cooler power set where he was in a, powered by the Green Avatar. Uh, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman were dead. It's not a spoiler. It happens in the first five pages of the first issue. And we, we meet a whole new crop of heroes. A new Hawk Girl, a new Flash. They're the same characters, but they're introduced to us under different circumstances. And I just kind of got caught up in the drama of each month. Oh, what are they going to switch up this go-around? It's not a great piece of... Um, long-term storytelling, although right in the middle of the run, they change authors to Tom Taylor, who I do enjoy quite a bit, who you can catch on uh, Superman's Son of Kal-El that's been going out this last year. Tremendous uh, run. Uh, but they introduced some new concepts. They kind of flipped the script on the entire series, and, and I stuck with it all the way until the end when it got canceled after like 30 issues and a couple of miniseries and stuff like that. So it definitely had some longevity. I will say it gave us Valzod, the Earth 2 Superman who wears the awesome alternate like blue and silver and white uniform that I love quite a bit. Uh, hopefully, now I don't know, Michael B. Jordan has been supposed to be attached to a Superman film. I'm wondering if, the, if it'll be Valzad or just another version of Kal-El. I don't think it'll be President Superman from Final Crisis, which is a whole other conversation that we're not having because explaining President Superman, just Google it. It's cool. Like I like President Superman, but just... Yeah, not enough time in the day to talk about all the multiversal supermen. But Earth 2 was a lot of fun. Um, it's more akin to, like, maybe a CW show as opposed to, like, a full-length feature. And that's not to throw shade at it, but that was sort of the draw for me. Like, who's showing up next? I, I beat it into the ground. Up next, 2012. Buckle in your seatbelts. Jonathan Hickman is back on the Marvel team. His Avengers... New Avengers, and Infinity Maxi series run from 2012. Now, all of this is collected and, dare I say, easy to purchase on Comixology, Jonathan Hickman's Avengers, Volume 1 through 4. I, I tell you, folks, the scope of this story, you have no idea. The Avengers 
team roster is deep. There's some good polls of different unique characters that are showing up. Names like Shang-Chi, Hyperion, Captain Universe, um, Cannonball and Sunspot, who I love. I love Cannonball and Sunspot with Jonathan Hickman is writing them. But also Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Thor, Hulk, the original Avengers roster. It, it came out the same year as the Avengers film. This run started. It transcends even the Avengers name with what they do here. They tell an amazing story uh, in the new Avengers uh, book, which runs parallel with this. You get the story of the Illuminati. Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Iron Man, Beast, Captain America, Black Bolt. I'm forgetting someone. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Doctor Strange, unless I said it. Um, and, and they're Black Panther, and their deal with incursions, universes colliding, which is pretty much assumingly going to be the basis for the Avengers Secret Wars uh, series. And, of course, this Avengers run leads into a maxi-series called Secret Wars. Shocker. But if you if you get these Jonathan Hickman books, they've got it all collected for you in the easily to easiest-to-digest manner because there's a, like three different comics tied into what I'm talking about here, and they organize them and collect all of them, and they put them in the correct order because... Man, oh man, Hickman is no stranger to introducing very high concepts. Like, we meet the robots, I guess, that built the universe, all the universes. Uh, I just, I can't even. Thanos shows up for a big, uh, you know, maxi-series event in the middle called Infinity, which is really good. Uh, It's very cosmic. The Avengers go to space and hang out with the Shi'ar Empire, the Kree, uh, the uh, Spartaxians, which is where uh, Star-Lord's supposed to be from, but the MCU fucked it all up. And I can't, you know, but what it all boils down to in the end is the classic Tony and Cap dynamic, which defines this entire series, even if they're not together or even on the same planet. I mean, right from the first issue, you get a framing device that, informs this entire Jonathan Hickman Avengers project and it just goes from there and wraps it all up after you know a couple years of work and collected issues and man oh man when you're done you're so glad that you read it and then you pick up Secret Wars to get the actual conclusion to Hickman's Marvel Avengers run and you know you're maybe a little less in the pocket because you bought it all but it's totally fucking worth it now we're getting even more recent 2018 is when the first issue of this was published. I didn't pick up the trade until last year. It's by an author named Tom King, who also writes a lot of great stuff. Uh, He wrote Heroes in Crisis, which I stand by as a really good series, but it's not on the list. This is called Superman Up in the Sky. And it's the most straightforward premise you've ever heard in your entire life. In Gotham City... A crime takes place. Someone breaks into somewhere, and many children are killed, and one child is kidnapped and taken into a ship and taken up into space. Now, this girl had a Superman doll with her because she thought Superman would protect her. And Bruce and Clark meet at the crime scene, and, uh, you know, Clark doesn't really know what to do And Bruce is like, it's really very simple. I can tell you exactly what you have to do. You have to go to space, and you have to find her, and you have to bring her back. And then Clark and Bruce sort of argue the dynamics of how can I, being the Superman, leave Earth to find one person? 
what about all the things that will happen on earth that I won't be able to stop? All the people I won't be able to save, all the problems I can't solve. If I abandon all this to go on this wild goose chase to find one person in one random corner of the galaxy, what you know? What am I supposed to do? Like, how? Why am I the one to do this? And Bruce is like, "Well, it's simple. You're Superman. This is what you do." And Superman begins a an extremely epic quest across the known galaxy to find this kidnapped child. That should be enough you need, but it's a fantastic deconstruction of what makes Superman an immortal character, what makes Superman a beacon, what makes Superman necessary, dare I say, what makes Superman the cornerstone of pulp comics and the cornerstone of this little poppy art thing that we have called uh, superheroes. It's uh, And Tom King's a great writer for that, for telling a great story, but also deconstructing and breaking down like the symbology of what Superman is and uh, what it stands for, what it means to be the Superman in the world that we inhabit. I cannot recommend it enough. And it's, you know, it doesn't get bogged down in all the continuity and shit. It's just... A standalone, like it it's, doesn't take place across any greater storyline. It's just, here we go. You can buy the trade paperback and put it on the shelf and read it once every couple months because you will want to because it is that fucking good. And uh, yeah, it may even bring you to a little bit of tears, dare I say. It's that fucking good. Speaking of bringing me to tears, tears of positivity, but also tears of thinking. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. I've got two left I want to cover, and then we're going to get out of here. 2019, again from Jonathan Hickman over on Marvel. Folks, the X-Men sort of had a rough patch in the 21st century after Grant Morrison stopped writing them. Um... Nobody really knew how to wrap their head around getting X-Men, dare I say, popular again. Good stories were told here and there, of course. I'm not trying to trivialize anyone's work, but something needed to happen to make X-Men matter again. Sort of like how Jeff Johns made the Green Lanterns matter again when he invented all the Lantern Corps and created the War of Light, etc., etc. Something had to happen, and that something happened in the form of Jonathan Hickman He wrote two six-issue miniseries that are the prologue to a brand new X-Men concept. He redefined how the X-Men work and integrate and fit into the larger Marvel Universe. He literally cut them out a little piece of the planet all for them. Let me explain. It's called the, The two series are called House of X and Powers of Ten. And look... If you've read House of House of X and Powers of Ten, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at my explanation uh, to get. But this is just to get readers enticed. It's so much deeper than this. There's so much going on. But the human race wakes up one day, and suddenly every human on the planet receives a telepathic message from Professor Charles Xavier, who is now walking and wearing the craziest, most badass. X-shaped circle helmet on his skull. He's so creepy and awesome. And, and like, I can't even... This costume fucking rules. It's my absolute favorite. I love this goddamn contraption he wears. It's a portable Cerebro he wears on his head. Okay? But Charles Xavier tells the human race... of Gives them a very simple message. You woke up yesterday, and the planet was yours. Now you've woken up today, and the planet is ours. 
we have, being the mutants of planet Earth, have created and synthesized three drugs for mankind. One will extend the life of every human by five years. One will treat most uh, mental illnesses, and the other will treat all forms of common illness. All right? Like physical ailments. And we are going to give them to you, mankind. We're going to give them to you. Anyone that wants them can have them. And all we ask for is that we are given sovereignty. See, there is an island that is actually a living mutant, but we won't get into all that. There's a giant island and a, a basically a, a land that the mutants have claimed for their own called Krakoa. They want the UN to rationalize or to to oh God ratify and acknowledge the nation state of Krakoa as a country here on the fucking planet Earth that self-governs, that has its own laws, its own everything, and it's for mutants only. Humans are not allowed here, and you can have this. This sets off a chain of events that reveals so many truths about the X-Men we never knew, so many things that we never knew mutants could possibly obtain, and it's also an amazing political thriller as well. Like, I can't, I don't want to understate that, I, the, some of the best parts of this, and then Hickman's ongoing X-Men afterwards, so basically anything Jonathan Hickman did with X-Men is what I'm recommending. But you got to start with House and Powers. If you buy the trade paperback, it's all organized for you. It, I've said it already. It doesn't need to be restated. But the political intrigue, the machinations of mankind versus mutant kind, why can't we just give them what they want? Why did it take us so long to finally, you know, get this idea? It's all explained. Oh, and I should mention Magneto and Professor Xavier are now together, not as a couple, but they're together uh, ruling over Krakoa with some others. You know, it's part of the story, but they're working together as one with one common goal. And there are reasons why. Because we all know throughout history, they've been together, apart, at war, at peace. Trust me, it's all explained and it's all woven into a narrative that is so intricate, I dare don't want to spoil anything for you. Just check it out. I was a kid, I mean, I talked about X-Men. Look at my X-Men titles, 93, 95. I talked about the card collecting that I did uh, across this entire time. Basically, my entire junior high existence and the cartoon. If you're a lapsed X-Men fan, X-Men fan, I cannot recommend this enough to get you back on the hook. Hickman has since left the Avengers, so you can do some Google searching and find or Avengers, I apologize, the X-Men. You can do some Google searching to find out what you need, but start with House and Powers. If you like it, go forward. If you don't, what's wrong with you? No, I'm kidding. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's fine. Uh, I also love what he's done with Mr. Sinister. He's basically turned him into Hollywood from Mannequin. And I love it, because I love Hollywood from Mannequin. But that's my final Marvel recommendation that I'm thank. You know, it's a story that I'm thankful for. I feel like this has turned into a, buy this, buy this, buy this. And I didn't mean it to. But, you know, part of me being thankful for these things is I want to share them with someone. I want someone to enjoy them as well. The last is a bit of a cheat, because I said I was going to go chronologically. But it started in 2017, and it ended in 2019. And that is... Uh, a 12-issue maxi-series written by Jeff Johns and illustrated by Gary Frank. And it's called Doomsday Clock. And to oversimplify the narrative, let me explain. 
this is, gosh, I don't want to over fanboy indulge this, and I also don't want to oversimplify it to make it seem cheesy. In the Watchmen universe, things have begun to unravel, and the world is about to destroy itself. Doc, well, Dr. Manhattan's not around. I won't say why, in case you haven't read Watchmen. And uh, a last-ditch effort is made by characters in the Watchmen universe to find Dr. Manhattan. They have tracked Dr. Manhattan to the DC universe. And once they get here, they find a DC universe that is inching ever closer towards the conflict that once uh, ruled over the Watchmen universe in ways that I would have never imagined, and I also would not have thought Jeff Johns was capable of as a writer. The despair that is engulfed the DC universe, the conflict, the feuding. Um, I can't say enough positive things about Doomsday Clock. I think it might be my favorite thing ever because it blends the sensibilities of Watchmen and the mature storytelling with the comic characters that I know and love. And it also clearly, it's the best Superman story I've ever read, bar none. Even better than the the one with the little girl uh, up in the sky. Now, that's a pure Superman story, but this, Superman is the cornerstone. Uh, Dr. Manhattan has come to the DC Universe because he's very interested in Superman. What is it about Superman? We learn new truths about the DC Universe. Um, They're able to not only tell a great story, uh, introduce some great themes, but also find a way to connect and make the DC Universe something that makes cohesive sense. Because after all... Superman first popped up in 1938, and it seems like every 20 years, he just sort of pops up and lands on Earth for the first time again. What is it about the Superman? What is his existence in this greater multiverse existence? What does he really mean to not so much humankind, mankind, alienkind, but sentience? Like, what is the Superman? What, What does it mean for anything that can think? Uh, and we, we're introduced to some awesome new characters from the Watchmen universe, the Mime and the Marionette. Um, we learn some very interesting truths about some of our favorite superheroes and supervillains. Uh, Black Adam is here, ready to, rage, to wage war against every other country on the planet should armed conflict arise. Um, I, I don't want to go into too much detail. Uh, the Superman theory, the metahuman arms race is in full effect. Um, it's just, it's amazing because it, again, much like House and Powers of X, it's, it is about these comic book heroes. It is about explaining what the DC universe truly is and explaining comic books and sort of rebooting the universe. It is all that, but it's also a political thriller. It's also something, uh, that yearns to be more in terms of, you know, what, what is our destiny? What are we destined to do? What drives us as a species? Why do we make the choices that we do? And what happens uh, when misinformation is spread? And what happens when misinformation is embraced? What happens when society doesn't know what to believe? Whether because maybe someone's manipulating the time stream, maybe because people are publishing incorrect news articles. It's all there. It's all up for debate. You decide. Jeff John's doomsday clock, like I said, it, it It's sort of, it's still, you know, not too old. You know, it started in 2017, so I guess technically it's about five years old if you go by the first issue. And I I don't like making bold statements. I will tell you this. I, 
in the five years it's been out, I have read it probably more than anything I've read. I, I try to reread it every couple of months, and uh, I look for new shit. Um, I focus in on different subplots more. I mean, it, you say to yourself, how do you do that? Like, I will just analyze certain characters differently, uh, you know, as opposed to just paying attention to Superman and Dr. Manhattan. I will say one thing about it that I, I'll try to be fair. I'm not a huge fan of the new Rorschach. There's nothing wrong with it. it the, the character choice is fine. But it's a 12-issue maxi series, and you don't really get to the main crux until about issue six, which is good because you need setup. You need world building. I'm not complaining, but there's a lot of uh, real estate given to the new Rorschach and he's not a, a very large part of the back half. So it's kind of like, ah, maybe we could have used the real estate in issue four or five a little bit better. Um, since, you know, if Rorschach ends up like saving the day at the end and like rescuing everybody and being like, hey, I did it. Like, okay, then it makes sense. But he kind of disappears for a little bit. I mean, I don't want to spoil the book for anybody that might actually be interested in reading it. But, you know, a little bit of a real estate loss there. Uh, but uh, it picks up well. Um, Man, you ever see you ever want to see Superman get into an argument with Vladimir Putin? You should read Doomsday Clock. And I love too that well, I don't love that Trump was president at the time, but I love that at one point the fictitious US president sends out a tweet that says the United States government uh, is, you know, cutting all ties with Superman. Besides, I've done more for the planet than he has anyway. And it's like that's the most perfect fucking in a bow wrap up of what Trump would do with the Superman. But speaking about bows and wrapping things up, the list is complete. These are the comic stories that I am so fucking thankful for, and I hope that you have been implored to even pick up just one of them. If you've even considered looking at one of them, then I feel like I've done my job. But, you know, I've tried to identify ones that are standalone in nature that you can pick up without any sort of information. But don't don't fear. Wikipedia is your friend. There's an entire DC Wikipedia as well. Like You can figure out what you need to know in order to best understand a storyline. And there's so much more out there. You know, if I didn't mention one of your favorite characters and you're curious if I might know of something, hit me up on Twitter at TheJohnnyC. Um, I, look, I'm not some expert. You could probably just Google it and figure it out. But if you want a recommendation, if you're like, you know, my favorite character is fucking, I don't know, uh, the, the Rocket Reds. It's, uh, I don't think anyone's going to send me that, actually. What if your, your favorite character is Black Canary? I'd be like, okay, well, uh, wait, I got a lot of Black Canary on the mind today, I guess. Well, it's because the Red Canary just came out today uh story for another time story for another time but there's a new character that debuted in dc comics today called red canary now now i'm losing you but uh i don't want to lose you permanently so make sure you subscribe to the new tnn so you get notified whenever new content is dropped and you know i i, I probably said it already but take care of yourselves on this thanksgiving day weekend all right and also just just a real quick thing man you know we lost the green and white ranger recently, and I- I'm not sure why he did what he did. But man, I'll tell you what, if you know somebody that needs some help, man, extend the hand, offer to help, if you can. I'm not, the world is a hard place to be in, but uh, you know, you-, you gotta do what you can. And if you can do something, do it, and if you can't, call someone that can. Wow, you didn't come here for your PSA. I'm sorry. It's just, you know, 
fuck. Take care of yourselves. Take care of people. All right? I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you, and we are Pop. Read Tuesday Clock. <laughs>